My name is Stanley Chova, and my wife Nora is behind there. We have been privileged to work with the, uh, Dr. Gard and Dr. Genestic, that we releases, who are going to be speaking to us. Um, Dr. Gard works with Butabika Hospital um, there, and then also Dr. Genestic works with Makerele, she's a lecturer. We are at the School of Social Works at Makere University. They have been married for 25 years. They just celebrated that glorious day, uh, the beautiful life of uh, the 25. You just need to sit with them to hear what God has taken them through the 25 years. They have got two beautiful, one beautiful daughter, um, Tracy, and uh, a wonderful and some young man, Timothy. But they have managed to raise many children who are men and women of importance in this generation. They are involved at St. Francis Chapel. That's where their ministry is. They are involved in the marriage ministry and the primary counseling ministry. We have had opportunity to work together, but also they are on our National Family Life uh, coaching team. So today we have a, a, a couple that is well versed with ministry and impacting others for the Lord. They are going to be talking to us about nursing and overcoming emotional trauma, wounds in marriage and family as we, we go through the family at the crossroad. So that we please, please welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Uncle Stanley, my brother Aaron, and not forgetting our Mama Provost. And thank you very much for that ministry in Uganda. We directly benefit from that ministry. My wife comes from Uganda. And Oh, thank you very much. Um, I've been advised to remove the mask. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. We want to thank uh, Life Ministry and All Saints Cathedral for such a op great opportunity to minister, but also to reflect, take stock and reflect on the family. The family is the foundation of society, and we have seen God work through families and bless people through families. And so, hearing from what has been said in the last um, uh, three days, from the opening remarks, from the preacher on Sunday, and then the topics that were discussed yesterday, and even the morning glory, the lunch hour, we thank God. That God is revealing to us a lot of things. And I want to believe that he's giving us, as a nation, direction on how 
we can manage and thrive in marriages. We have been, as Uncle Stanley has said, we have been privileged to walk with Uncle Stanley and, and Aunt Nora for as long as we have been married. And we want to thank you so much for edifying us. I know very well that you have touched so many lives through life ministry. And also, you as a, as a couple. Today, Genestic and I, we are sharing with you a topic, nursing and overcoming emotional trauma. And our focus text is in the book of James, chapter 5, and from verses 13 to 16. As you've heard, trauma in marriage. Nursing and overcoming emotional trauma in marriage. My background is medical, but we tried by all means not to, not to dwell there. Because we know that our God is a healer. We implement his ministry. And so we believe that it's God who heals. So the word trauma is a Greek word, which in English translates to wound. And so the word emotional trauma directly means that we are dealing with emotional wounds in marriage. And this is not abstract. Many of us have lived in families. If we are not yet married, at least we have seen marriages. That struggle, but by grace of God, we have celebrated 25 years and we are still going on. And remembering what was said on our day of, of uh, the wedding, someone said that marriage, you are going to find marriage as, as a sugar cane, which you are going to eat from top down. And every level, it is getting sweeter and sweeter. And when you see, indeed, the Lord is faithful and we are enjoying ourselves. Amen. Amen. So, um, why, why trauma? Why wounds? So, bad things sometimes happen even to Christians. I heard you, Uncle Stanley, when you're talking about communication, and 
also looking back to the text you quoted in Genesis chapter 3, everything crumbled then when man sinned and then was banished from the garden and this explains our struggles. And therefore, we live in a fallen world. No wonder Jesus also mentions it and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is John 16:33. Praise the Lord. And so, even when we go through trauma, we don't go through as people who have no hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in our Lord, who overcame the world. And therefore, in his name, we are overcomers. Amen. Amen. And so, if we are to explain um, what then trauma looks like to understand trauma. So trauma, as I said, is wound. And so it can be basically defined as emotional injury. Emotional trauma, emotional injury. There is almost no distinction between emotional and psychological trauma. And so, in terms of discussion, uh, we realize that much as emotional trauma affects many faculties of our body, but they are faculties that are more affected than the others. But in the end, if it is not well managed, if it is not handled early, it can progress to a medical condition called post-traumatic stress disorder. And that, is, that may need medical intervention or professional psychologists and counselors to manage. However, as we saw earlier, this is as a result of sin. And we know that we are not thriving, we are not enjoying life, which Jesus promised in John, where he, it says, John 10.10, 10, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that we may have, you may have life and have it abundantly. And so, how I pray that even as we go through this week, we may experience that abundant life that Jesus promises to them that believe. And so, a few signs I'm going to, to, to highlight. But um, 
One, what we see um, people that suffer injury may experience say, um, shock, may experience disturbances, may experience pain, and this is a response following exposure to a traumatic event. There must be an event. Now, this traumatic event may happen, it may happen to various people, but different people may react differently because we have different coping mechanisms, but also we have protective factors within a society. And the family is one of them, one of the protective factors. However, now the irony is what happens when the emotional trauma is within marriage itself? So who is going to be a protective factor here? So, um, there are factors within environment that may help us, and some of, some of the factors may arise out of our faith, and for Christians, our faith will take us through. For indeed, we serve a living God, a God who heals. So, a story is told in First Samuel chapter one, up to verse, from verse one up to verse eighteen, and this is a story of Hannah. Hannah, it is told, she's married, but God delays to open her womb. So one of the causes of, of trauma, we can highlight childlessness, childlessness in marriage as one of the causes of trauma. However, there are other causes. For example, physical and emotional abuse. And then there could be other, like a diagnosis of a serious illness that probably, uh, you know, scientifically they say no cure. But for us Christians, we believe that our God heals all diseases and restores life. So we are picking this example of Hannah. So Hannah, it is told that her, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children. Hannah did not have children at that time. And so Penina would use that to torment her, 
And every time they would go to places of worship and sacrifice, you know, she would feel bad because she's given one portion, though it would be the best, but for pain she would be given a portion and portions for her, her other children. So it is said that she was downcast, and those are signs. She was, she was, she was grieving, and at one time when she was praying alone, she could not be, she could not even utter words. She was just murmuring. And the prophet saw her and thought that probably she was drunk. But one could easily tell that she was in pain because when Eli came and listened to her, then he understood, and then he prayed for her. And she went home, ate her food, because she had not been eat, she had even lost appetite. And one of the physical signs of trauma, emotional trauma, is actually loss of appetite. You have other physical manifestations like, you know, heart disease, uh, peptic ulcers, and then you have uh, behavior, behavior symptoms that you begin to avoid places and people, and so in the end, you find yourself, you are not, you know, if you're a Christian, you are driven out of fellowship, you don't want fellowship with others, you don't want to, people to even to, to know what you're going through, and then if it is not managed, it can actually devastate you. So um, in brief, the effects of emotional trauma can be seen at the level we think because Actually, if it is sustained, we may get nightmares. We may begin to see vivid dreams of the event that took place. And if that begins to cripple your ability to function, then you need help and professional help. It also affects the way we feel. That is our emotions. And so there is what majorly there is emotional numbing. You, 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 you feel motionless. And now imagine your husband, your wife, and you have no emotions, and that is really crippling. And then also um, physically what we have seen, there are many manifestations and therefore should be handled as early as possible. Genetic is going to look at the factors and also how we manage and then conclude. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, 
Thank you so much for that introduction and for uh, helping us understand trauma. Uh, once again, I'm so happy to be here with my husband today. Uh, yeah. I was a bit scared that he would uh, bring in a lot of uh, medical, you know, terminology and all that, but I'm happy that he tried to struggle through, you know, uh, uh, to our level, us who are not into uh, the medical field. Uh, so uh, when uh, Uncle Chobe called us and invited us to speak about, you know, emotional trauma in marriage, uh, and we were together, uh, our first reaction, my first reaction and also my husband's reaction was, no, 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 we, we don't have trauma in our marriage. We've never suffered trauma in our marriage. We are the wrong people to talk about it. I, I really put up a very huge fight because I usually want to talk, you know, from experience because uh, that does touch people, you know, when we, when we talk through lived experiences. So he said, no, but you know, you're a social worker and you know, he's mental health, you know, professional. You can talk from a professional experience. I said, yeah, but you. Anyway, in obedience, we did accept. And from the time we accepted, which was, you know, towards the end of last week, then God actually began to remind me of all the trauma, <laughs> of all the trauma that we have gone through in marriage. But the fact that at that point, I was really convinced that we are the wrong people because we haven't gone through, you know, traumatic experiences, that's a good place to be, isn't it? That's a good place to be. It means that we have actually overcome trauma in marriage. And so if we have overcome trauma in marriage, then we can testify about it and we can tell our stories. You see, uh, about uh, seven years into our marriage, we had a very, we went through a very traumatic experience. We were expecting a, who would be our third, you know, child, and then we got a very serious medical condition. I did get a very serious medical condition uh, experienced by maybe less than 2% of the women in the world. And, you know, it started as preeclampsia, and then, you know, they had to remove the baby, and then it progressed to something called DIC, where, where the body, you know, gets a wrong message and releases all the clotting factors at once, so there's no clotting factor, and somebody bleeds to death. And, you know, and that's sort of what happened. And so uh, I was in coma in Mulago, you know, for, for so many, maybe for about uh, seven days. And then I was on life support for 32 good, you know, days in intensive care. And when I woke up, you know, I kept asking about my baby who had been removed alive. It was a boy. I kept asking about my baby and, you know, whoever would come in ICU would talk about my baby. But as days went on, I realized that no one was mentioning my baby anymore. And, uh, and you know, I kept asking, how, how is my baby? How is my baby? And everyone was trying to deny and cover up. Uh, but my husband somehow, you know, couldn't uh, stomach it. And so he told me that the baby had passed, you know, on. And, uh, you know, uh, so we came home. And 
before coming home, the doctor actually told us that we wouldn't be able to have another baby, you know, at least not biologically. And, you know, all that weighed on me, but I didn't cry. I didn't shed any tears. And uh, so, and then the children started. We had a three-year-old and a six-year-old girl, Tracy. And then the children started, you know, after like six months, they would say, Mommy, you know, how old would, your ba would be your baby, you know? <laughs> and after one year, they would say, Mommy, your baby would be one year. What was his name? Or, you know, all that kind of thing. And uh, potentially, that can be traumatic. Potentially, that can be traumatic. And I can tell you that for about four or five years, I didn't want to step in Mulago, even if my relative was sick. I didn't want to go there. Even if you gave birth, I said, please excuse me, I don't even want to come near that hospital. And I sort of lost interest in attending wedding parties and all that. And my husband understood, and he went through that, you know, with me. But, you know, because of the strength of our relationship, I even, you know, many years down the road, I forgot that I've ever gone through trauma. Uh, the, the trigger came when I was away from my family in a foreign country, and then I got some sickness and I had to go to hospital for the first time ever since I'd left uh, the ICU. And that's when, you know, all the bottled up, you know, emotions came, and I cried my heart out. Uh, but still, I thank God that now I can talk about that without really, you know, breaking down and without, you know, uh, because of God's grace, God helped us to go through that trauma. But that's just one of the many types of risk factors or, you know, origins of trauma in marriage. Trauma in marriage can, that traumatic events can happen, you know, when you're already in, like, you know, the, what I'm talking about right now, but trauma can be carried into marriage. Trauma that comes from childhood, trauma that comes as, you know, uh, from the experiences we go through uh, when we are growing up, you know, so the person, you know, carries that into marriage. Children go through very difficult circumstances, some children, and maybe that's why we are talking about family at a crossroads now, because if you look at what's happening in families, you know, the broken relationships, the divorce, the separation, the abuse that uh, Reverend Tusuvira was talking about, the sexual abuse, you know, the physical abuse, and, you know, not knowing one's parents. Increasingly, there are many children Children that grow up without knowing their, their parents, at least, you know, their fathers. And that becomes traumatic, you know. And then loss of loved ones, including parents. So the list is, long, is, is really uh, long. And there's absolutely, I think, one of the most significant causes of trauma in childhood is definitely divorce. You know, Malachi uh, chapter 2, verse 15, you know, talks about, you know, God making them one, husband and wife. And he says, and why one? Because, you know, uh, God was seeking a godly offspring. And so if that marriage breaks, it's not 
God and genetic only who get affected, but Tracy and Timothy, you know, the children that are involved. And they take that, imagine, they take that into their relationships, they take that uh, into their marriage. You know, one time, um, a few, many years ago, not many years, maybe about 10 years ago, we welcomed uh, an adolescent girl in our family, and she had been uh, living with her auntie and uncle. She had lost her parents when she was young, and this aunt taunted, taunted her so, so much, you know, kept verbally abusing her, reminding her how her parents died of AIDS, and why, how they are wasting their money on her. Doesn't she know that she's also going to die? You know, whatever killed her parents. And then she would, you know, child labor and all sorts of things. So by the time this girl came, you know, to our home, she was shattered. She was withdrawn. She didn't know how to receive love. She didn't trust anybody. Okay? And her, her performance had deteriorated. She could not sustain relationship. And imagine this girl, very beautiful young girl, gets into marriage. And she carries that baggage, you know, into marriage. And that is a recipe for disaster. Because she's incapable of giving and receiving love. How do you build a relationship that lacks trust? But fortunately, you know, it, it took a, a lot of work for us, you know, to break barriers, you know, thank God for my husband, he, he's so good with, you know, uh, children and adolescents, you know, it took a lot of work for us to break barriers, show her love, you know, help her unlearn, you know, the mistrust that she had gotten along, and as we speak, she's married with two children, and they are really okay, you know. The, their marriage is, is functional, is functional. But that is trauma that we come with in marriage. Part of it is maybe you were sexually abused as a teenager and all that. Uh, maybe you lost people so that you come with it. And if it's not dealt with, it definitely is going to affect your marriage relationship. Because trauma and relationships do not really, uh, they are not bedfellows. They do not uh, work together. And then there's trauma arising within the marriage setting, okay? Uh, and within the marriage setting, still you have to look at trauma, you know, from two uh, different perspectives. Yes, it's within the marriage setting, but it might be external to your relationship. External to your relationship. Loss of a child partly resulting from my relationship, but really external to the interpersonal relationship. You know, a very bad diagnosis. You know, very difficult, you know, our uh, relatives, you know. Those are external. Loss of a job and all the stresses that come, you know, from the workplace that you carry home into your relationship, you know. That does affect uh, leaves a wound in you, does affect your marriage relationship, but it's somehow external to your relationship. But one of the most dangerous forms of trauma is what we call uh, uh, relationship trauma. The trauma that is coming from within, you know, the two of you. The two of you. And most of it is due to abuse of all forms, physical abuse, you know, being battered. Imagine you're an adult like me, you know. I'm, I'm, I teach at a university. 
and at home I'm being battered. You know, how does that affect me? You know, don't you think that's a huge wound? Doesn't it affect my self-esteem? And doesn't it take away my confidence? And any slight thing, if I make any slight mistake, you know, it's like you've put uh, uh, a stick in that wound, okay? And I'll definitely react to it. And, you know, uh, even if it's not buttering, it's uh, belittling, you know. Uh, it's uh, embarrassing me and humiliating me in public. It's heaping all the blame for whatever happens, you know, the wrong thing happens at home, you heap it at me. All that is psychological and emotional abuse, and it is relationship trauma. And uh, the, 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 the irony is that relationship trauma is one of the most significant traumas. But the irony is that relationship is extremely important in healing trauma, healthy relationships, okay? So how does trauma, I hope we've understood uh, how it manifests, where it comes from, we are not being exhaustive, but we are trying you know, to help us understand trauma, but how does it affect marriage? In brief, it's extremely difficult to have a healthy, thriving relationship when trauma is still present. In marriage, this is where it becomes tried and tested because the emotional strain makes building oneness in marriage impossible. Okay? Whether it's coming from the relationship, whether it's external to the relationship, whether it's the baggage you brought into marriage, it does affect that oneness, and so we cannot build a sustainable, healthy marriage relationship. Why? Because there will be suspicion and mistrust. Somebody who has been hurt finds it difficult to trust again. If my husband, God forbid, has been unfaithful, I have that wound, and it becomes difficult to trust again. You know, uh, the, the loss of esteem that I talked about. Trauma also manifests and translates into hostility. Do you know the word edgy, you know? It's like, don't touch me, you know? Uh, there's this uh, uh, wall that somebody builds, you know, around themselves, because they don't want to be hurt again, and that translates normally into being hostile to others, okay? You can't ask questions. You can't sustain a conversation. You cannot, you know, uh, uh, you can't do many things. You can't sit together and, you know, because anytime you're scared that you'll make a mistake and somebody will just, you know, uh, blow up. So that hostility, sometimes what we see as violent behavior is really, you know, coming from deep-seated trauma. Constant arguments, feelings of inadequacy. Somebody who has trauma or has suffered traumatic uh, experiences and events sometimes feels, you know, inadequate and they begin to blame themselves and they are saying, maybe it's my mistake, maybe I'm not good enough, that's why he's being violent, and all that. And then uh, another effect is that uh, uh, a partner might, might begin to engage in self-destructive behavior. Where you see people getting, uh, you know, into alcohol and more alcohol, drugs, gambling, you know, uh, 
Sometimes it's because the devil has really, you know, is using that trauma to take them deeper and deeper into self-destructive behaviors, uh, and definitely that impacts uh, on marriage. And of course, uh, there's the issue of sex. How do you have sex, sexual intimacy, when actually there is lack of trust, there's, lack, there's low self-esteem, there is uh, maybe uh, sexual abuse from, you know, uh, as part of the baggage, you know, definitely that also becomes affected. And finally, I wanted to point out the distrust and loss of faith in God. People that have emotional, psychological wounds, you know, they keep, you know, remembering those traumatic events. And they keep asking questions, the age-old questions that the psalmist asked, you know, you know, why do bad things happen, you know, to good people? If God really cared about me, why did he, you know, take my parents at that age? Why did he let me drop out of school? Um, you know, why did he uh, let me land on a husband that is so abusive, you know, uh, maybe God doesn't care after all. Maybe things just happen. So slowly and gradually, people might begin to lose, you know, their faith in God. But also the fact that there's this withdrawal, you do not want to, to interact uh, with others. And so you slowly see people, you know, uh, getting out of fellowship. They are not attending fellowship anymore. And you're wondering why. And of course, that definitely does affect the faith, and it, with it, the couple can no longer connect, you know, spiritually at the same level. Yeah, so, in other words, trauma is very destructive, you know, in a marriage setting, just like it is destructive for any other relationship, even among children, among teenagers, and even within the families. Uh, I last... Last semester, I guess, last year, I conducted an exercise uh, in my class of social work. I teach social workers, and I conducted an exercise. I was talking about self-awareness, you know, rediscovering yourself, knowing who you are. And I asked these students, you know, to keep quiet. Be quiet. Think about, look back in your life. Think about something that is, didn't please you or, you know, was made you sad in your life growing up. And I said, you're going to keep quiet for three good minutes. And by the end of the three minutes, several students started crying in class. I usually don't do this, you know, but they started crying. And I gave them time to cry. And afterwards I said, uh, any of you has the courage to narrate your story, why are you crying, you know, what have you remembered? I mean, there were several things that they talked about, but I think about 80% of what they narrated had to do with violence between my mother and my father, domestic violence, right? I saw my father hit my mother so many times, and I felt helpless and I wish I had done something, and that created a wound on them, okay? And then it had to do with, you know, my father. Incidentally, it was mostly the men. My father 
abandoned us. I struggled through school and I'm so angry. That is emotional trauma, okay? And they narrated many other things, but they revolved around family. Break, break up, breakdown. They revolved around family. And so at the end, I said, uh, thank you so much for opening up. If you'd like to talk to me, you know, afterwards, please feel free to come to my office and talk to me. And quite a couple of them came, and I listened to stories and stories. And maybe if you're talking about, you know, <laughs> being ministers in the marketplace, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's that's why I've been placed there, you know. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but what I wanted to bring out is, you know, these are students who are in two relationships. They are at university, they are in two relationships, and very soon, they'll be the ones that you're waiting here, right? And okay, they'll go through counseling, but depending on how you handle the counseling, okay, the trauma might remain. And then, two years down the road, this marriage is broken, not because, you know, of something serious, but because they had this wound and any slight trigger, you know, just snaps the relationship and it does break. So, Satan uses trauma to distance us from God and to distance us from one another. He uses trauma to cause us misery in our relationships, in our marriage. But, God has a redemptive plan. It doesn't end with the fall. It does not end you know, with Adam and Eve being chased away, you know, from the Garden of Eden, you know, we have Jesus Christ coming, you know, with redemption, with salvation, with restoration. So how do we deal then based on that truth? How do we deal with emotional trauma in marriage? And so we go to our key text in James, okay? And James, if you read the book of James, you know, uh, it, it simply tells you that uh, God has answers for all situations that we go through. It simply tells you to seek God in all circumstances. Are you deficient of wisdom? Seek God. Are you in trouble? Seek God. Are you happy? Seek God. Are you discouraged? Seek God. So whether you have negative emotions or not, God does not stop you from approaching him. God does not stop me from approaching him. So uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everybody liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding and it will be given to him. We selected this verse, even though, uh, yeah, we'll go to, to the uh, 5.13, but uh, we wanted to emphasize the issue of, you know, do you have any deficiency in any part of your life, in any faculty of your life? Ask. Ask. Is your emotional tank, as they say, empty or running low? Ask to be refilled, right? Are you disturbed in your marriage relationship? Ask 
because this God gives everyone. You're not an exception. Gives everyone, and he doesn't give grudgingly. He gives generously and library, and he's not on a fault-finding mission. He's not trying to, to say, anywhere you brought, it, you brought this upon yourself, so sort it out. No, he gives without fault-finding. And then, yeah, and then uh, I, I really like uh, Psalm 103, you know, the first four verses. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Trauma can be a huge, deep pit. Like you're there and you don't know how to get out of it. You're in a dungeon, you know, of emotions, a dungeon of negative thoughts and feelings, a dungeon of guilt and self-blame, a dungeon of deep-seated secrets. But verse 4 says, he redeems your life from the pit. So he's worthy to be trusted, he's worthy to be asked, and he will redeem our life from that uh, pit. And Psalm 147 verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. My husband said that trauma is a wound. It's an injury. And if you do not, you know, uh, allow that wound to be touched and nursed, then the wound just festers beneath. You can put on a facade. You can put, you know, uh, you can put on a smile when beneath that smile things are boiling up. And at one point it becomes septic and it can swallow you up. But you surrender it to God, and he, he, he binds up those wounds and heals our hearts. James 5, our key text, is where I would like to conclude from as we look at how do we deal with trauma in marriage. And it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How do you deal with uh, emotional trauma in marriage? Number one, acknowledging the trauma and the event that happened. It says, is any among you in trouble? You've got to acknowledge the trouble. You've got to identify the issue that, look here, I'm not doing well. Okay? Acknowledging that you cannot change the past. Acknowledging that you cannot change what happened, but that you do not want to be a prisoner, you know, to that event and to whatever happened. Uh, in Psalm 32, uh, 3 to 5, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He was talking about sin and confessed sin, right? 
but you can relate it to feelings that are not acknowledged, but that they are eating you up. An emotional wound that's eating you up, but you want to pretend as if everything is okay. Just pour out your heart to God and talk about it. Like we saw Hannah, you know, pouring out her heart to God in groans that words could not express, but she did acknowledge that she was in distress. She did acknowledge that she's a troubled woman that needed the intervention of God. So number one is acknowledge the trauma. Do not cover it up. And number two, Uh, and number two is uh, express your feelings. Express your feelings. Uh, if you feel like crying, remember my story? For two years, I actually didn't cry. But, you know, from that time in that, I was in Cape Town in a doctor's room, and I cried and cried. And from that time, I said, this cannot make me cry again, actually because I poured it out, and it was out, and I received healing. I remember my journey from Cape Town to here. It must have been the next week and all that. There was a presence. There was a presence of God that, you, do you know where you feel like you're touching that presence? Okay? And I knew that my healing had actually occurred. You know, when I, yes, expressed my, my feelings. I allowed myself to mourn my child. I allowed myself to mourn my ability, you know, to have another child. And I poured out my heart to God, and God healed me. So do not pretend as if God doesn't know what's happening. Do not pretend as if God doesn't see your feelings. Express them and receive healing. And then, because we are talking about marriage, we are talking about relationship and all that, keep the communication lines open. It doesn't matter if this trauma is relationship-related. It doesn't matter if it is a baggage you carried into this marriage. It doesn't matter if it's from an external event within the marriage. Please talk about it with your spouse. Let them know how you feel and why you're feeling. Let them know that you're hurt by their behavior. Let them know. Keep the communication lines open. Work on your, your relationship with God. I remember, uh, you know, a long time ago when we had, when we were in Young Marriage Fellowship, you know, uh, there was a preacher who came, uh, the late Chigozi. And, you know, you know the things we talk about in marriage, all these irritabilities and, you know, uh, how do we make our marriage work? And he said, Mulokoke. Mulokoke. Right? I mean, these, most of these issues will really, you know, fade as our relationship with God gets more and more established. Established. Husband and wife, you know, working together, you know, uh, in God, uh, seeking a strong relationship with God, seeking intimacy with God, individually and together, it resolves a lot of uh, issues. And then, apart from your relationship with God, it's also important to keep the lines open for relating with a few other trusted friends. 
Okay. While it's not advisable to go, you know, singing and advertising your trauma and pain to everyone that cares to listen, it's, it's good to identify trusted, safe friends that you can confide in, that you can talk and pour out your heart on, because the, doesn't the Bible say that iron sharpens iron? Doesn't the Bible say that we should carry each other's burdens? Okay. Doesn't the Bible say we shouldn't give up the habit of meeting together, you know, uh, and all these issues about, you know, uh, that you cannot burn alone. If you get, you know, away from the rest of the fire, you know, those sticks, then you just uh, stop burning. So please uh, do not isolate yourself. And this is also scientific, okay, that you, if you're experiencing traumatic you know, feelings and experiences, do not isolate yourself. Number three, forgive. Forgive. Uh, verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. First, forgive yourself. Many people experiencing trauma have a tendency to blame themselves and to carry that guilt. So allow yourself, you know, to forgive yourself. Okay? Even when a child is lost, like in my case. You might say, maybe I didn't attend antenatal care as I should have. You know, there's that feeling always. So identify it and forgive. And then forgive the offender or any people that were involved, even if it's your spouse, forgive them, release them. And then uh, uh, verse, uh, I think that same verse says, pray for each other so that you'll be healed. Pray for the people that have hurt you. Pray for your spouse that has hurt you. Pray and forgive. Pray, forgive. Do not just pray for yourself and seek revenge for, you, for the other people. Pray, even if it was sexual abuse, pray and forgive. Then, sometimes you really need to seek help. Uh, verse 14 says, is any of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It talks about you going out and acknowledging that I cannot handle this alone. I need help. And they are talking about the elders. Elders, uh, we are interpreting it to mean those who are mature in Christ. Right? those who are mature in Christ, those that have been appointed to minister among us, and also definitely it takes who you're free with and who you trust and who is available, you know, for that ministry. Seek help. It is... I remember Uncle Ben was still the chaplain, and I was already teaching at Macquarie University, and, uh, you know, I was overwhelmed, and I just went, you know, up to the chapel and went to the chaplain's office. I didn't knock. I just entered, sat down on one of the seats there and started crying. So he was busy writing somewhere down. And when he raised his eyes like this, there was this young lady. I was still young. <laughs> there was this young lady crying. And he didn't even ask me what, why I was crying. He started praying for me. But why did I leave my office and go? I was seeking for help. I was seeking for that anointing. I was seeking for prayer. And it actually did work. So seek help. 
seek prayer, support, and seek other forms of help, and uh, then deliberately practice gratitude. That's what I would like to end with. Deliberately practice gratitude. However grim the situation looks like, and you as a partner, support your partner to really identify things that you're grateful to God for. Some people I, I see uh, in newspapers or social media, some people have come up with this whole idea of, you know, the gratitude jar, where every day you write at least one thing that you're grateful for, put it in the jar, after some period, is it six months or whatever you decide, you start reflecting on all these good things that have happened. For our case, <clears throat> why did we overcome this trauma, you know, even when the situation looked grim? You know what? We kept telling ourselves this could have happened on our first pregnancy. Hmm? And you're coming out of ICU and they are telling you that the baby has died but you're not going to have any other child. You won't be able to have any other child. So we said, look here, we have two children, and this could have happened on our first pregnancy, but God in his wisdom prevented it. So we are grateful for that. In a grim situation, find something that you can give thanks to God for, and you'll be surprised how many things. How about life? The fact that, you know, I was in that ICU, it's a bad place to be. The, the moment I became conscious, I don't think there's a single day when someone did not die. You know, they would bring in people, I'm awake, and either at the end of the day or tomorrow, they take them out dead. I was the longest serving member of the ICU. And I witnessed all that, and I came out alive. And I'm like, you know, that is, that is something to thank God for. You know, they, they, they have all these machines that make horrible noise, you know, and then the moment you, you no longer hear that noise, know that it's been switched off, and somebody's being carried out. And the doctors were perplexed. They said, I mean, which woman overcomes this? How come we are still working on her? I mean, how come we haven't switched off, you know, the machines? And they didn't. And I came out alive, and I'm alive, and speaking to you. Thank God. Look for things to thank God. The, 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 that song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. You'll be surprised what God can do and what God has done. Even in a marriage that looks like, you know, it's on the rocks, you'll be surprised that that marriage is redeemable. You'll be surprised that that wound can be healed. You'll be surprised because we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that testimony can manifest itself as you identify things to thank God for. And how about the role of the partner? And this is where I'm ending. This is where I'm ending. We go back to, you know, to Hannah's case. The partner, does he validate your feelings or he or she downplays your trauma? Does he acknowledge 
the way you're feeling. That's the role. Be supportive. Offer that support. Offer that validation. Okay? Do not minimize what I'm going through. Validate my feelings. Look at what uh, Hannah's husband did. He wasn't really good at that because you know what he says? He says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Right? Does that heal? It definitely doesn't. But of course he was doing it in good faith. And most people, most spouses will say those words in good faith, but they don't know that they are actually, you know, exacerbating, making it worse for the person who is going through the trauma. That's why when my husband explained trauma, he said that unlike a physical wound, which somebody can see and see how deep and ugly it is, the, trauma, the, you know, the, the emotional trauma is invisible, and so it's difficult for the other person, even the person you share you know, a bed with, to really understand how deep you are hurt. Uh, but so uh, as we help people you know, overcome trauma, we need to uh, also talk with their significant others and help them to understand that whatever the situation is, do not be minimalist and do not begin to say, ah, it's on a show, you know, just that. Don't say just that. No. You may not fully understand what they are going through, but at least you can say, I can imagine how difficult that is to you. And so, uh, unlike uh, Elkanah, Please, uh, spouses have to be supportive if the trauma is going to be healed and overcome. Conclusion. <laughs> Conclusion. Trauma in marriage is a marriage breaker. It's a relationship breaker. We have to recognize it for what it is. We have to surrender it to God and receive healing. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The starting point, though, is to establish that relationship with God and work on it and strengthen it. Seek his wisdom, seek his counsel. I like the song that says, and it really carried me through uh, many difficult you know, times, uh, and God used it to speak to me, uh, that says, burdens are lifted at Calvary. And Jesus is very near. And I remember one time I was just walking, you know, up the hill to my office. And there was this song, the verse that says, Troubled soul, the Savior can see. Every heartache and fear or tear, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. God bless you. One of the things you can see is the, the beautiful smiles with the genetic and God in these 25 years. Just a question, um, genetic, how did the, your husband come around you to support you in that dramatic setting? <laughs> My husband is world class. <laughs>
My husband has been, you know, by my side through thick and thin. He, I, <laughs> my husband, when I left Mulago Hospital, I was in a wheelchair. And because I had had multiple organ failure, multiple organ failure, right? We read that in postmortem. I'd had multiple organ failure, so all my organs had sort of shut down, including my bladder and that system. So I had a, what you call a suprapubic catheter. You know, the urine bag that goes hanging around you. And I was in a wheelchair as well. And my husband had to go back to work. But, you know, instead of bringing in one of my sisters to take care of me and all that, he would come from work, you know, get me in a wheelchair, because my, my body became dead. I mean, my, I, I died and came back to life, so everything had to come back. So he would put me in a wheelchair, take me, put me in the car with my urine bag, you know, uh, dangling, take me for uh, physiotherapy, right? Sit and, you know, engage me in some nice conversation, telling me about his day, so that he's working on my emotions, right? He's working on my, you know, feelings and trying to cheer me up, okay? And there would be these people, it was a public place, and that went on day after day after day, and he was faithful in doing that. And, you know, by the end, the, the owner of that uh, place, you know, they began even to argue amongst themselves. They said, hmm, are they husband and wife? Hmm, which husband does that? You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, the, the owner of that place actually said, I've never mm. seen a man who uh, acts like that towards mm. his wife. And for that matter, I'm giving you 50% discount. Wow. Yes. Thank you very much.